Because today is the day of victory. Worthy is the lamb. Acceptable is his sacrifice to provide for his people forever and ever. Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. You may turn with me to, in your pew Bibles to that passage. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Read together. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this happy ending uh, to a tough week. We know it was way harder on you than it was on us. And even remembering and imagining, Lord, things that we cannot imagine you went through, that you sustained, that you bore, and that you demonstrated your power and courage and faithfulness and overcame. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for what you have done. And and now we ask that as we celebrate, you would help us to see the, the magnitude of what you have done, to put it in perspective for our lives, to understand it, Lord, and to even uh, more excitedly and exuberantly, Father, to, uh, to praise and thank you for what you have done. So be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Every year we, we do this, we celebrate the resurrection, and uh, sometimes we ask ourselves, why the big deal? I mean, church is church, Sunday is Sunday, here we are again, dressed up. Uh, some of us are dressed up. Well, in the simplest of terms, the resurrection overturns the curses of the fall. That's kind of a a covenantal thing. But uh, understand this, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve messed up big time. And because of that, the close relationship between God and humanity was broken. And it was broken in such a way as Humanity couldn't do anything about it. They just had to deal with the consequences, which have gone on and on and on and on. The curses of the fall, they're like weeds, you know, when you plant a garden, and immediately the weeds grow way better than the stuff you planted, you know? That's a curse. That's frustrating, you know? Also, pain in childbirth, that's another one. You know, ladies, many of you have experienced that pain. That's part of the curse. 
goes along with sin and death. It goes along with not getting along together. Husbands and wives, instead of loving each other closely, they, they spar with each other. They strive against one another instead of being one. Once again, that's part of the curse. It's all part of the curse. So the good news is on Resurrection Sunday, all those things have been overcome by Jesus' resurrection. He fulfills the desire of the law, the commands of the law, and sets it all straight. Jesus accomplishes uh, these things in two ways. I'm get into a little theology now, so hold on. Jesus accomplishes these things in two ways. First of all, it's an active obedience, and secondly, it is a passive obedience. And what I mean by that is active, as you know, is stuff that you do, right? So Jesus' active obedience is stuff that he does. He obeys. He loves. He is faithful, etc. His passive obedience is in stuff that is done to him, all right? So, so that means giving up his glory and coming down to planet Earth, becoming a little baby and growing up as a human with a mom and a dad, just like all the rest of us. It, it means uh, suffering under accusation and criticism and hatred and jealousy and the heartbreak of losing friends, right? It, it also has to do with the idea of mistrust and humiliation, and torture, and death, even death on a cross. All things that were done to Jesus that he submitted to. Because Jesus is the Lamb. He stands in place for us on the cross, taking a punishment that was meant for our rebelliousness, our sinfulness. And because of that, he becomes our sin. He receives all the things that we deserve and more. And he accepts it perfectly. So in the, the former kind of obedience, Jesus' role as the second Adam is clearly displayed. This Messiah, sent from God, defeated the sin of Adam's disobedience with his own perfect obedience to what Adam had failed to do. Namely, to keep the covenant, the relationship with God. He treated that as precious, more precious than anything that earth could supply. Jesus kept the covenant. The second part, his, his, uh, his uh, passive obedience came also in keeping the covenant to love and obey God. But Jesus exemplifies his obedience in a passive way. Jesus' total identification with humanity in his baptism means that he now comes under the curse and he accepts the curse on our behalf. Right? He accepts the, the, the consequences of the cross and, and embraces that as part of his mission on earth and he does it courageously and faithfully. Even though, and we see in the Passion in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he had mixed feelings about actually enduring the suffering that was to come. And yet he said, your will be done, God, and not my will. Your will be done. And so he went to the cross. He suffered and he died for us. 
fellow named Meredith Klein, he writes, as covenant servant, Jesus submitted in symbol to the judgment of the God of the covenant in the waters of baptism. The event appropriately concluded with a divine verdict, the verdict of justification expressed by the heavenly voice and sealed by the Spirit's anointing. You remember when Jesus came out of the baptismal waters, two things happened. There was a, a, a vision. It looked like a dove came down from heaven and rested on Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit. And what that means is the Holy, the Holy Spirit is accepting Jesus's intention here. Jesus, in his baptism, is identifying with us. And that identification is pleasing to God, so God blesses it. And in addition, there was a voice that said, this is my son, my beloved son. Right? So both the Spirit and God the Father and Jesus participate in this act of accepting the responsibility for the sins of the world. Now, in ancient Near, Near, Near Eastern religion, this is freaky. Gods never do this, right? The, the gods of the ancient Near East are more likely to shove you in the fire rather than approach the fire, right? But not our God. Our God says, here's the deal. You broke the covenant. It cannot be fixed by you. So I'm going to come and I'm going to fix it for you. So I will take the hit and I will spare you so that we can be in love with one another. And that's what Jesus does. So the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills the whole law for us. He did not only undergo the penalty of it due unto our sins, but also yielded that perfect obedience which it did require. Christ's fulfilling of the law in obedience unto its commands is no less imputed unto us for our justification than his undergoing the penalty of it is. That just means Jesus accepted on our behalf the penalty that was due us. Though innocent and perfect, he accepts humanity's guilt and pays for it. Big time. Walter Wongren in his poem, Mourning Unto Dancing, he writes this. It's a paraphrase of Philippians 2, 5, 8, but I like it. It says, he who never disobeyed did not count his parity with God as something he must preserve, but he emptied himself down and down, and he severed himself from deific power. He took the form of a servant, came down to us in human frame, went down beneath the rule of death, humbled himself into obedience, even unto death on a cross. Immortality became mortal. And we don't think of it very often. We think of, yeah, the suffering on the cross was bad, right? Dying and being separated from God. But it begins when Jesus came down from heaven, when he gave up his position to become a human being, to stand in the punishment booth on our behalf and suffer all of it, the rejection, the hatred, the criticisms, the doubts, the, the mistrusts, all of it, Jesus suffered. When Jesus did that, he fulfilled the covenant, all its demands, both in obedience and in the penalty for disobedience. God accepted his work as justified, satisfying, in perfect obedience, offered as holy holy sacrifice. So the original well done, good and faithful servant goes to Jesus. 
And you see, when we faithful disciples of Jesus who identify with him through the covenant of his blood, when we do that, we also get a good, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, But Jesus is the first one to get it. Right? He's the pioneer, the originator of our faith. You see, the resurrection is a reward for being perfect. And Jesus is perfect. That's why he is called the firstborn of the dead. He is the first one to, the first human to attain perfection, right? And if that's the case, then the ground can't hold you. Death cannot hold you. And Jesus proves that by springing, right? Jesus didn't wait for the angel to come down and roll the stone and then sit on it. Oh no, he was gone by then. The angel rolls the stone by so that we can sit in, that we can see in. You know, the angels say he's not here. He's risen. Come and look. See for yourself. He's gone. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Now we understand why the book of Revelation is addressed as coming from Jesus. It says, Revelation 1, 4 through 6, to the seven churches that are in Asia, that's like saying to all the churches, because you can read down through that list, and uh, I know when I read through it, I can identify with certain of the, the churches that are there myself. So I, I know that the, it's a symbol for all the churches, the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. I mean, what's the big deal? This is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing that God would do this. The creator of the universe would do this for his wayward sons and daughters. Despite everything that we have done and continue to do, Jesus is still standing before us and saying, this is what I've done for you. This is a free gift. Take, eat, drink, live forever, live with me, have fellowship with your father. Jesus offers that even now. To you. If you've never done this, if you've never accepted, perfect time for it today. Jesus rose from the dead today, and that's what we celebrate. And you could celebrate too. Just like Jesus being, being the firstborn of the dead, you could be a birthday girl or boy today. That would be awesome. Jesus would be pleased. So this third day, Easter morning, witnessed the dawn of a new day. It was not a new day like other new days. It was, it was uh, completely more wonderful, more gorgeous, more, uh, more extravagant, brighter. It's a day that has carried within it the very future to which it points. Right? So the whole thing, Jesus, because he's rising from the dead and he lives even now, not only is the day marked as a special day, but all the days after that are now marked because of what he has done. All the subsequent days are the beginning of eternity for those of us who believe. 
And that's cool, I think. You know, we, we, we have had a beginning, and most of us uh, are looking forward to an end at some point, but it only has to be a transition for those who believe in God through Jesus Christ. A transition rather than, than an end in a, and, you know, a, a grave moldering away in the ground somewhere. It will be a transition from this place to the next place because of what Jesus has got done. You know, there's a, an old analogy. Paul uses it frequently. It's the, it's the war analogy. He likens what Jesus does as, uh, as D-Day, for instance. Uh, victory has been proclaimed. The enemy is on the ropes. Though sin and death are in their death throes, we battle them still. However, they are not to be feared. We are no longer their slaves. The victor Jesus has destroyed the yoke of sin and death having had that burden laid upon him. The literal empty grave of Jesus not only confirms the hope to which we cling, it simultaneously offers even now the future resurrection life to each person found in Christ. So that the uncertainties and the chaos of this world and all you got to do is pick up the Herald or the Globe or the Times or the Post or whatever and read or listen. And you see chaos, uncertainties of this world. While this may be oppressive from time to time, it must not, it cannot drive us into despair. There is no room for that in the life of one who believes in God's victory through the exalted Christ. As hard as it is, amid the mourning and the empathy of tragedy, we are to thank God in light of the promise, the new creation, heaven on earth. Thus we routine, we routine, <laughs> thus we routinely proclaim the faith each Lord's day. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That is our hope. That is the reality to which we cling. There will come a day when the weeds of the curse will be choked out by the heavenly vineyard of the promised land. True justice will reign, and the once wretched sinner will live, resurrected, resurrected, perfect and humble, in the presence of the Almighty. From cradle to baptism, to death on a cross, to enthroned in heaven's palace temple, Jesus completes his journey perfectly, gloriously, and victoriously. The great storm is over. There is laughter in the house where the mourners have been. The standards of death have been taken down by surprise. Hallelujah! The great storm is over. And the angel said, he is not here. He has risen. Let us pray.